this morning, Nicole and I want to uh, just begin uh, sharing with you a few of the um, peculiarities or distinctives about who we are as a local church. Now, um, you may remember a couple of weeks back, I was teaching out of 1 Peter and how in that um, God's love has chosen for us to declare his identity to the world. So his love has chosen us to declare his praises or declare or release or announce or proclaim his identity into the world. That's who we are as, as his people. And Peter wasn't writing to John Bajaya. He wasn't writing to um, Karen Jacobs or, or he wasn't writing to Lily Eisman or, or he wasn't writing to Terry Lewis. He was, Peter, when he was writing, he was writing to all of the believers across a region. So he was talking to a people group, not individuals. But the message it applies to the individual in the context of the group of God's people. So this is a very much a sense of corporate or family or group of or fellowship of believers type message that Peter had. And, and we just want to sort of go on from that a little bit because in that message, if you weren't here, we spoke about how there is a distinctive, there's meant to be something very distinct about the people of Jesus in the earth, the way they carry themselves, the way they go about life. It's meant to have this sense of God on them that's declaring the praises of God into their life and circumstance. And so I want to talk this morning, a bit. well, we want to talk this morning and, and probably next week as well, just a, a little bit about some of the things that are distinctives about us here at the Vineyard, as a Vineyard movement and as individuals. Now, um, I first crossed paths with the Vineyard in about 1989. And in 1989, I was a student in theological college and, and, and I felt like I had my, my framework of understanding, my worldview fairly put together pretty well. And um, I'd held on to some fairly reformed theologians and positions and I'd sort of had it nicely tucked away so I could understand God, I could understand people, I could understand the life of the church, and it was fairly sort of, you know, uh, controlled, contained perspective on things. And then I went in 1989 down to Sydney to a conference where there was about five or 6,000 people in the Horden Pavilion in Sydney at the Sydney Showgrounds. And John Wimber and the team from um, the US were there and Jack Deere was one of the speakers and Paul Kane was doing some prophetic ministry from the stage and... It was, it was a time when um, it completely took a hold of what I thought God was like, my understanding, and just it was like someone grabbed a hold of it with both hands and just shook it and shook it and shook it until it fell apart. Because I met some realities about God that I just went, oh my goodness, that is real and it's just like in the book. And actually, that's what I really want to live like. Um, but I had to surrender my worldview. I had to give it all away to be able to appreciate 
the distinctives of what was being offered to me. And then, um, of course, in uh, 1994, when Nicole and I were in Townsville, pastoring in the Uniting Church up there, we, uh, <clears throat> we had a small vineyard team. We didn't organise it, but a small vineyard team came through town in 1994, and that's when we first met Ken Fish. And uh, he was on that team, and he was sort of sent by John up to North Queensland to do some satellite conferences, and, and that completely, like, by this stage, we were in ministry, and we were loving some of it and completely frustrated with the powerlessness of our ministry and not actually seeing God's kingdom come and, um, and, and actually in a fairly faithless position that we actually really didn't expect it to happen. Um, but then God totally ratted our cage because, again, because um, uh, Nicole went, she had just recovered from um, chicken pox as a 24-year-old, and, uh, and she was feeling just completely ill still. And I just said, come on, let's just go. We'll sit up the back and see what this thing's all about. And so we sneak in towards the building, and we sneak in the back door, and we had a whole bunch of our young adults that were there from our church because we said, yeah, you should go and check this out. And anyways, they, all, they were all there. They all turned up. And then Nicole, as we're entering the building, she has this stabbing pain in her shoulder. And she says, oh, I, I got this stabbing pain. I feel sick. I just want to go home. I said, Look, okay, let's just, just, one, just this one little bit of session. Let's just do this and then we'll go home. And so she graciously um, came in and then, of course, the team down the front, they had words of knowledge time. And someone down the front said, Someone's here with stabbing pain in their left shoulder. And I just went, that's you. <laughs> and so, but the thing was you had to come down the front. And so Nick, Nick was like, oh, I don't want to go down there. But anyway, she did. She went down the front. And then they made all the people that came down the front turn around and face the crowd. And Nicole was feeling not dressed for the occasion and all of that stuff. But then... They prayed for her and the Holy Spirit came upon her in power and she dropped to the floor and she was just like knocked out under the power of God's healing love for her life. And I think it was about maybe 15, 20 minutes later, she opened her eyes and all the young adults of our church was right over the top of her like, what's going on with you, you know? Everyone's world was being like completely blown apart by this ministry of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so since then, we've been on this wonderful pursuit. It wasn't long after that that Nick and I sold up everything we had, chucked the little bit left that we had into storage, and we decided we would follow the Spirit and, and, and figure out who are these people called the Vineyard. We went to the US and we tracked with them for a series of months and worked on staff as volunteers at a few Vineyard churches along the way. Um, we've been tracking with this church, the Vineyard Church, the Vineyard Church movement for 20 years now. And it's been the most wonderful, exciting, faith-building experience. And at times, it's been gloriously victorious. And at times, it's been very hard and difficult and gritty. And yet, we have fallen in love with this part of the body of Jesus. We love the vineyard. We love who she is as the part of the church. 
And we love how the Father has brought her to life and is reaching out through the world, uh, to the world through her. Now, we want to, as best as we can, um, put into some words, describe some of the things that are really distinctive and worth celebrating about who we are. I'm talking about identity still, but I'm talking about our identity as the people of Jesus in this place. Now, as we share them, we are not compare, we're not doing this by way of comparing ourselves to other parts of the body of Jesus. We, because these distinctives, we don't own them. They're just ways that describe who we are. Um, nor are we necessarily even the best demonstrations of these distinctives that we're talking about. We're not the best at this. But these distinctives go a long way to putting into words who we are and why we do what we do. And we don't share these distinctives in any way to elevate ourselves or the vineyard over any other part of the body of Jesus. We actually love the whole church. Um, yet we, we don't share them with um, a proud heart, but we share them with a spirit of thanksgiving and celebration to the Father that this is who he's made us to be. And we celebrate that. You know, I dig it when my kids are themselves in full flight, moving in their identity, enjoying life. It's, there's this sense of thanksgiving that rises up in my heart when I watch them in action. And so too, I think God is, his heart is pleased when he sees us as the vineyard moving in our identity. So you'll hear us sharing them with a sense of confidence and without apology. Um, and these are the realities that Nick and I sold everything to be able to participate in. We sold everything to be able to pay, play. You know, it's a bit like the treasure in the field. He, it was discovered. And then he went and sold everything to buy the field. He sold everything to participate. And we've done this with God in regards to the vineyard. Um, so at times you might hear us get a little passionate about describing who we are, um, but this has become our story. And we realise that we are not the best thing in town. We realise that. So we just make that declaration into the spirit realm of our culture that says you have to be the best if you've got to be worth following it. We just say no to all of that in the name of Jesus. We're not the best at who we are, at, at, you know, at what we do or even what we aim to be. But we do have a deep conviction and believe that God's birthed us as a movement and he's called us to be a powerful force of his love to our country and to the world. And we're now a movement of over a thousand churches in the earth and growing. A thousand churches in the earth and growing, bringing glory to Jesus and healing to people's lives. And we also believe that we're not here by mistake, but we're here by the, because of the plans and purposes of God. And we believe that about every single one of you as well. You're not here by mistake. You're here to participate in the plans and purposes of God. So um, hopefully you'll enjoy some of our reflections and thoughts. I, I'll just hand over to Nick. Would you welcome Nick? Yes. 
um, I'm going to talk about the main and the plane. And I was reflecting on that this morning and I thought, um, when we say the main and the plane is, is the things at the core of who we are as a Christian, um, what speaks into our life. So we're talking about scripture, the main and the plane. And I thought, you know, Lord, there's absolutely nothing plain about your book. But, you know, it's like um, when we eat meat and three veg, you know, it gets a little bit plain sometimes, but it's so sustaining. It's, you know, it's good for us. Um, this is what we say when we mean the main and the plane. This is our life source. This is what breathes life into us. This is what gets us through the low times, the high times. This is what gets us through life. And so we want to make that a distinctive of who we are and what we value. We value the Word of God as our food source. Psalm 119, verse 105, I've got written here. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So there's absolutely nothing plain about this, but it is something that sometimes... Um, we read because we feel like we have to every day, but know that the Spirit of God is breathing life into you when you read it. And if you just pray and ask the Lord to open your eyes, you'll be taught by it every single day. It's central to our understanding of who Jesus is. It's our plumb line or our life source. Um, and in the vineyard, we love to see men and women who love the Word of God, who are passionate about it and who, who teach from it and have a full understanding of it in their daily life. We teach the easy bits and we teach the difficult bits. We teach the bits that are sometimes beyond our understanding, but we rely on the Holy Spirit to bring His revelation so that we get the whole counsel of God. And we want our small groups studying it. We want them feasting on it, basically, because that's where all wisdom comes from. Recently, um, when we were away in January, um, the national director of the U.S. was saying that um, many years ago the Lord told him to read Proverbs. And so every day of every month of every year from that point, he has read a chapter of Proverbs every day. Now, I've started to try that. There's quite a few long proverbs, and there are many, many deep, deep wellsprings of God in that. So I, that's my aim, but I haven't got there yet because there is so much truth in the proverbs. But he said that was the way in which the Lord gave and is continuing to give him wisdom is by reading the book of Proverbs. Um, we live in the great I season. Everything has an eye in front of it. iPod, iPhone, iTunes, iPads. But God coined that phrase first in saying, I am. I am the great I am in Isaiah 48:12. And so we will find the I being God in this book for our lives. And I encourage you to pour over them daily. Just this week, someone from in this church called me and said that they were doing their daily devotion and um, they were really enjoying it with the Lord and was really speaking to them and, and all of a sudden God interrupted their thoughts and said, uh, actually, that's not for you, that's for Nicole and you need to call her and encourage her. And it was a wonderful phone call and it was like 
in the scripture as they were reading it to me and then sharing with me what the interpretation of it was for my life, it was like God was um, talking back to me my very thoughts, my very feelings, my, my very emotions that I didn't think he knew about, that I didn't think he cared about. And that set me free that day. So it took boldness of that person to, to hear God and then to pick up the phone and call me. But it was life in them bringing the scriptures to me. So I want to encourage you that not only read the word for yourself as a life source and to feed yourself, but when you're reading it and you're like, well, that's really good, there's a truth in that, also ask God, who might that be for? Who can I encourage in my community and as my brothers and sisters that that word might speak to? Because you, God will use you to bring life to somebody else through also reading his word. So it was a real encouragement to me. I keep holding this. Um, I want to give you an example um, of, a, of a story that someone shared with us about two or three years ago about the power of the word and God using it. Um, and it was a husband and wife. And uh, you know, wives, how... Sometimes you give directions to your husband. I know when we back out of the driveway, Kirk goes one way and I really think he should have gone the other way, you know. I will tell him and he's like, oh, yes, I didn't think of that, you know. It's like sometimes there's those moments where you think, you know, you need to tell them which way to do or what to do. And sometimes those moments are Holy Spirit driven. So I won't say that they're always Holy Spirit driven with me. They're more likely me driven. Like, honey, you can save time by going that way. Why are you going this way? It's the long way. Um, but this is a story of being very Holy Spirit driven. Um, so a couple, a couple was traveling frequently in their own country in the Middle East. And they would keep a stack of, their, of Bibles in that country's language in the back of their car. Now, the land through that they were driving through was very war-torn in Afghanistan. I'll never, I always get the pronunciation wrong. Say it. The Mujahideen. There we go. The Mujahideen soldiers, Afghan soldiers, they're a group of soldiers who came together to defend Afghanistan in the 70s when Russia was trying to invade Afghanistan. So this was a few decades ago now. But they were travelling in their car and they were travelling for many miles in the desert when they came across a petrol station or gas station in the middle of nowhere. They stopped to fill their car and there in the middle of the station was an enormous Mujahideen warrior. <laughs> turban, heavily bearded, bandana as, bandanas of bullets across his chest and in his belt, a dagger on one side and a pistol on the other. Cradled in his arms was an AK-47, and he was just standing there motionless. So if you picture that in your mind, he is a force to be reckoned with and probably not somebody that you would approach or probably even look at sideways. So the wife said to her husband, we should give him a Bible. <laughs> to which he replied, obviously. Don't be ridiculous. Get in the car now. <laughs> so having filled the car up, they drove on. A mile or two later, the wife said to the husband with real urgency, we must go back and give him a Bible. God says, in capital letters, 
you are to give him a Bible, pointing to her husband. (laughs) The husband, fearing his wife more than the warrior, (laughs) turned the car around and they drove back. When they returned, the soldier was still standing there, still motionless, still staring ahead. So the husband approached him and offered him a Bible saying, this is a Bible in your own language and we would like to give it to you. Whereupon, all of a sudden, the warrior, standing there motionless, you know, looking like almost like nobody's home, burst into tears and he said, three days ago I had a dream that a man would bring me a book that has the words of life. So I've been standing here For three days, God wanted to get this man and the couple knew that the life source was in the Bible. So, very exciting story that touches me every time I read it. Thanks, Thanks. Meg. I just want to quickly talk about the now and the not yet. Don't panic. We may not get through all of this today. It's okay. Uh, Don't panic. Um, I want to talk about the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. You hear us talking a lot in the vineyard about the kingdom of God. We've had many people with us over the years who have both welcomed the message and been frustrated by the message of the kingdom of God. Some have found home in the tension of this message and others have sought to try and resolve the tension. There is a very dynamic in in the Bible that talks about and plays out for us how the central message of of the Bible is the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. But there is within that message an inherent tension. And we see the Bible tell us that the kingdom, the power of the ages to come, the power of the rule and reign of God to come that we're all waiting for, in eternity, has in fact already broken in upon us in the person of Jesus. And so, in fact, the future, the Bible tells us, is already present in the reality of the person of Jesus. And we see in the ministry of Jesus, in his signs and his wonders, in his healings, in his deliverances, in his raising people from the dead, in his feeding the masses with only a few resources, we see the kingdom come in its fullness. And then he says to his disciples, now I want you to go and do the same. And there's these great moments in that story of the kingdom in the Bible and in our own story as individuals and as a local church, where we've seen God do amazing, miraculous in-breakings of his rule and reign. And in those moments, we are experiencing the not yet, which is to come, actually happen here and now. And we live in this place of, I, and if you're like me, I want it to be all now. I don't want it to be not yet, but that is the tension till Jesus returns. That is the tension. See, the kingdom, I explained it the other week, it has been 
inaugurated, it has commenced with the reality of Jesus. But it is not fully consummated in all its fullness until he returns, till he comes again. But in between, Jesus says, I want you to live like the fullness of the future continues to break into the here and the now. And so we have these amazing moments of glorious inbreaking where we've seen people healed. Some of you among us sit here right now. I mean, Leanne was just up here before. She had pain all down the back of her legs through her nerves and everything, and it's just the pain completely went when we asked the kingdom to come. The rule and reign of God, that which is yet to come, broke into the now. And yet, there's probably some of us in that same line that were out the front going, you know what, it didn't quite get there for me. It didn't quite happen. We're okay to admit that. We're okay to admit that. I mean, I've sat with friends, um, you know, praying for their children to be resurrected. And it hasn't happened. And it's in the middle of the grit that we contend for the glory. We're not afraid of the grit because this is happening in a context of spiritual warfare. The problem's not on God's end. It's, in our, it's on our end. It's in the atmosphere in which we live where the, the enemy, Satan, biblically, has been given authority to rule and reign in this atmosphere. But it's our, it's our experience to see the goodness of God break through that and set captives free. The kingdom of God is our everyday life. It's an encouraging lifestyle that expects God to break in with the future. See, when I, I love getting together with you guys on a weekend because I am like completely amped up on the Holy Spirit expecting that God's fullness of his kingdom is going to break in for your lives here and now. That's, that's how I approach my daily life as well with regards to provision and well-being and security. It's all wrapped up in, God, I want your kingdom to come now into the not yet. Some people have over the times become frustrated and weary from living in that tension and they've decided that there is no now it's just not yet and they take the bible and they make it say that they read it so that they no longer have to be disappointed in their prayer life they no longer have to contend and battle for the kingdom to come some people on the other hand have gone to the hyper end of it and it's and as as you know, word of faith type stuff where it's it's all now, it's all now, it's all now. When clearly it's not all now. And so they live in a place of denial rather than contending for the truth of the reign of God in both the grit and the glory. We're not afraid of the grit because it's there that the glory manifests the hardest. A good friend of ours. And I'm praying, if you could just be praying on this one too, um, I would really love him and his wife to come and visit us early next year. 
They're a wonderful couple. They pastor a, a small vineyard church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, United States. And his name is Rip and his wife's name is Anne-Marie. And they're, he, he and, for those of you who know Kevin Butterfield at Yarra Valley Vineyard in Victoria, they're like best buddies. They grew up together as kids. And anyway, Rip and Kevin. But I'm really praying that the Lord would make a way for Rip to come and be with us. He has an amazing story of just choosing to follow God through the grit and praying for the glory to come. And Rip says this, um, now he and Anne-Marie, part of their story is that um, they have, uh, gosh, they have Blake, um, Keely, 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 um, I've gotten, anyway, they've got a bunch of kids um, and I'm sorry if, if you're listening to the recording group, <laughs> I've forgotten in the moment, tell them I love them. Um, but in, in their, they, they made a decision to pursue kingdom living, to ask for the not yet, to come into the now. And then they found themselves in a very t- terrible situation where one of their children drowned. Hot on the tail of that. And Rip says this. He says, I'm 100% for any of the charismata or the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God has for us. Said another way, Rip says, I'm for as much of the kingdom now as we can get into this life. Yet this tension seems to remain. The more we pursue the kingdom of God now, the more we will have to process dealing with disappointment. You see, the now and the not yet. It's not all now and it's not just not yet. Those two realities live in tension. And so too is the kingdom life. And that's how we live it here in the vineyard. Um, Dallas Willard, he, I, I can't remember the full quote, but he went something along the lines of this. What is the, what is the kingdom of God? Well, it's where God gets to express his will in the earth. It's simply put, it's where his express will breaks into the earth and people experience God's goodness. So um, the kingdom takes our breath away. We love it. It's a, it's, a, it's a journey that we've been sent on. Now, I just want to quickly read before I hand over to Nick, and she's going to do one more. I just want to read to you, uh, if I can pull it up here in my groups, um, some of the reports from uh, our team here. I went to print this out this morning and wouldn't you know it, my printer um, decided it didn't want to work. Let me see. Oh, here it is. Healing on the Streets, Vineyard Christian Fellowship, Pine Rivers. Now these guys are really putting the, the tension of the now and the not yet onto the streets and testing the parameters of it. But let me, let me just read their last posting. They're about to go out and do some more today. You can join in. Our outreach at HOTS today felt like it was back to the good old days. It was decidedly peaceful and directed by Jesus today as his presence fell on us before we set out. A bit different to recent weeks. These were some of the interactions he led us into. A German man shared about a dramatic accident he caused in which a number of people could have been killed but weren't. He also lost his wife to cancer 
and he didn't feel he deserved prayer. We got to talk to him about grace and how Jesus did things. Even though he still wouldn't let us pray for him, by the end we felt it was a very meaningful conversation for him in which we were able to present a lot of the gospel and one that would have him continue to think about. One of our team has deafness in the left ear and we've been praying for a healing for a while now for her and after taking her turn stepping out of her comfort zone to love on people today, she took a turn remaining at our HOTS station, which is a couple of chairs under a marquee with a little sign about this size that says healing. Very rarely do people stop at our station for healing, but a quote-unquote repeat customer stopped by for his second time today and this team member was the only person there until others joined her and the man asked for prayer for his left ear. This was so clearly Jesus orchestrating events for our team members' healing, sowing and reaping. When we turn our gaze outwards, so often our own problems are healed. Where are we pointing the power? The man was unable to easily test whether the infection had disappeared, but he said he felt something in his ear as we prayed. Our team member has not yet received healing, but today Jesus showed us that he cares about the details of her life too. And we're believing that today was another step towards her healing. A very similar thing happened to another of our team members. She met a lady with a very similar condition to hers, metal rods in her back to correct scoliosis, as well as bad knees. We were able to share that it was no coincidence that our paths had crossed and we were able to pray for her. We felt this was a very positive encounter with this lady and her daughter as we shared and prayed with them. We're praying with people that the kingdom would come. Um, this is our life. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, but we stay in the radical middle of that tension. All right, why don't, why don't you go for one more and then we might call it a day. Yep. Yeah, that's okay. Okay. I'm going to go down to number six, everyone gets to play, um, which actually flows on really well from what Kirk just shared because we have the understanding and the distinctive that everybody does get to play. It's just not for Kirk and I to do ministry. It's not just for us to share Jesus or the leadership here. It's for every single person, every single one of you that's here today sitting in the seats. The church needs you. We need to hear how God speaks to you and what God says to you because there are threads of gold in each of us and God is weaving us together. And so that is the, the one message that we want people to always hear here is that you are valuable. You are part of community and even when you're not here, we feel that. Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to do the works of Jesus Everybody has the gift of the Holy Spirit in them when they are born again and profess to love Jesus. And the Holy Spirit equips us to get to play. So um, everybody, most people here are familiar with John Wimber. He was an evangelist, a worship leader, a songwriter, pastor and leader of the Vineyard Movement. And in he's got a book 
entitled, funnily enough, Everyone Gets to Play. And in it he quotes this story. There was a time early on in ministry when John was leading rather large meetings around the world where signs and wonders were following him wherever he ministered. At one point he said to his wife Carol, so here's the wife again in the story, I can either get a tent and have a huge revival where I can do this by myself or I can release it to the people and equip them to play. He chose the latter. And sure enough, one of John's legacies is that he not only loved doing the stuff but loved it even more when everybody around him was participating. It put the ministry back into the hands of the people rather than the focus being just on John and it means taking risks for God. And it's part of our heritage that we have been richly given and one that we we foster every week. We want all of you to be able to hear God for yourselves and minister to people for healing, for freedom. Um, Now, obviously, sometimes those things don't come naturally. And so we will have um, seminars and teaching where you don't feel confident in those things. So I encourage you to get to healing seminars that we might have, um, seminars on demonization. That's pretty scary when confronted, but it's merely the Holy Spirit setting people free, the Father moving in on their lives. And so we invest in training and equipping people for discipleship so that you feel like you can get to play. Um, Kinship is another area where I strongly encourage you to take risks. Faith equals risk. We've repeated that saying over and over over the years. Um, But it's true that when you're in small group and there's a small group of people there, take the risk to go before the Lord and ask him what would he have for that person. Take the risk to pray for them and see God break in into the now and heal them. Um, And I I love that Trent said last week, was it? I think that the more you do that, um, kinship life becomes your everyday life. So when you're out on the street and you see somebody that requires healing, God will stir your heart and you will feel God's heart for that person, heart of empathy and love and compassion. And you won't be able to help yourself. You'll want to go and ask to pray for them. I had an example the other week. It was a little bit of um, a failure. I wouldn't call it epic failure, but uh, I've had those too. Um, But I was at Aldi. Um, picking up a few last-minute groceries and finished and I was packing my trolley and I noticed the lady behind me had put all her groceries through and they're in the trolley. Um, But then I kind of noticed that she didn't go out with her trolley and I I realised that she couldn't pay for her groceries. So I walked out to the car with my trolley and the whole time the Holy Spirit's talking to me and he should go back in and pay for her groceries. and, And I saw her out in her car with her children And so I thought maybe she's a single mom, really struggling. So I put my groceries in the car and wrestling the whole time with the Lord, is that you, is that me? And so I felt, no, I'm going to go in and do it. I'm going to go in and action this. So I walked back in and I thought, oh, if I can't see her trolley, I'm wrong. You know, I couldn't see it at the end of the checkout, but it was over by the wall and I thought, yeah, that's her trolley, okay. 
So I'm kind of loitering, you know, and I'm looking a little bit strange because it's really busy. Aldi is a really busy supermarket and you have to keep up the pace, you know. You've got to push your groceries through, quickly get them in the trolley. I'm not good with that. But the lady, the next lady in the, in the um, checkout, she was doing that really fast and the guy on the checkout was kind of looking at me at that point thinking, what's, what's wrong with you? Why are you still there? And he caught my eye and I said, look, I don't mean to be nosy, but the lady that was after me, did she take her groceries with her? And he said, no. I said, could she not pay for them? You know, like I'm really hesitant at this point. And he's like, no, she couldn't. She's just gone out to see if she could get some money. And I said, well, I'd like to pay for them. And his jaw just dropped. He actually stopped swiping and just looked at me and and went, what? And the lady in the queue was like, what? And I said, yeah, God wants to show this lady that he loves her. I want to pay for the groceries. It's not about me. It's about God. And I want to do it anonymously. I just want to do it. Can I give you the money? (laughs) He's like, "Uh, no, you can't. Um, because sometimes they don't actually, people don't often come back for their groceries. They realise they don't have the money, so they leave. So he said, you, I said, well, she's out in the car park on the phone. And he said, well, you need to go out and tell her that's what you're doing. And I'm like, oh, so, okay. So I walk out and I'm, I'm arguing with the Lord then. I'm like, Lord, I don't, I want to do this anonymously. And he said, I want you to tell her how much I love her. And I'm like, okay, so I go out and I go, excuse me, I don't mean to be nosy. So I say the whole thing again. I'd like to pay for your groceries. And she just, she was on the phone and she kind of took the phone away and went, oh, no, 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 I have money. I can pay. I've just switched my bank accounts around. I'm on the phone to my husband trying to figure it out. And I said, well, that doesn't matter to God. He wants to know, you to know that he loves you and he is being generous towards you and I'd like to pay for your groceries. And she's like, no, no, no. Like she just would not hear it. There was no convincing this lady. And I was so in the middle of it, I'm like, Lord. And so I just said it again. Well, I, I would like to pay for your groceries, but I think God wants to give you the message today that he loves you and he values you. So I will just leave it at that because, you know, there is a, a degree of embarrassment and shame for her and I didn't want her to have leave her with that feeling. Um, so I just left, got in my car and drove away and thought, well, that was a little bit of a failure. And then the Lord broke in and said, no, because the message I wanted to send her was that I love her. It didn't matter about whether her groceries got paid or not. And I thought, Okay, and then I had this sense of joy fall upon me like I'd never felt before. Now, I don't do the, for me that's a bold thing to do, um, and I was just so thankful to the Lord that He gave me the opportunity to play, and it was outside these four walls, um, and it was a complete stranger, and it wasn't even in a suburb where I usually shop. I was on the way from somewhere to coming home, so I want to encourage you that even. At that level, God wants you to play. God wants you to bring his message of the kingdom. Um, That was a now and a not yet. You know, I got to tell her God loved her, but I didn't get to pray to pay for her groceries. Um, And, and, you know, we have to filter all of that um, through our own lens, the voices we hear in our own heads, and know which one's the Holy Spirit, and he will prevail. 
So I was very thankful that God allowed me to play um, with people that, you know, need to hear his voice and even though I might make a mistake, he demonstrates his love through them and even though I might say the wrong thing or, you know, be nosy, he wants to do that in the people that don't know him yet that need his love and we need his love every day as much as people who haven't heard his name. So I'm very thankful to God for that opportunity and I will continue to try to do that. And it just requires having open eyes. I just happened to observe that. Now, I could have walked out and actually my flesh really just wanted to. My flesh just wanted to get in the car and go and mind my own business and not worry about that. But there was something that stirred me that caused me to walk back into the supermarket. And it's, it's learning not to, to be rushed about time and life because I know that I have missed many opportunities before because I've been rushed and I've been too distracted to hear the small, still voice. So I encourage you to um, be brave. takes courage and braveness. Go to HOTS. Um, minister in your small groups. Take the risks with people who know you and love you to... Um, get to play, to play, to practice, to get it wrong and not be embarrassed because God speaks through each of you and we need that as the church. Thanks, Nick. Ephesians 4 verse 11 and 12 says this, So Jesus himself gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that, so, so that the body of Jesus Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus. Um, so they're just three distinctives, and we'll leave it at that today. Just the main and the plain, the now and the not yet, and everyone gets to play.